We're at the book of, end of the book of Job. And I give God praise for this. It's going to be exciting in the weeks ahead to jump into um, some, oh, why am I doing this? Jump into some uh, different stuff that God has ahead for us in the Gospels. But I'm also grateful to be able to share with you and preach um, to you this morning from the end of the book of Job, just because the story takes such a sudden and dramatic shift. But we see something um, right in the beginning of chapter 42 that sort of confronts us and challenges us when uh, all of a sudden a light bulb goes on for Job. Have you ever, have you ever had that experience where light, go, light bulb goes on for, you know, in a minute in your brain and suddenly you're like, oh, or aha, or that's what this was. I, I was thinking about that um, this past week. Um, I saw um, a sort of a compilation of videos of, and maybe you've seen these, and every time I, I see some of them, um, I always get a tear in my eye or get a little um, uh, uh, verklempt, I guess is the right phrase. Um, the soldiers coming home and surprising mom. You ever seen those? where all of a sudden there's like a family gathering and everyone knows what's going on except mom. Mom doesn't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden behind, uh, behind her shows up her soldier boy or soldier girl. And all of a sudden she's like, maybe the, the, her, her son or daughter has been gone for six, eight months. Or, or maybe it's not mom. Maybe it's the child in the classroom. That one always gets me too. You see the, the little girl who's um, in her kindergarten class and her mom's been been deployed for maybe six eight months she hasn't seen mommy maybe she's seen facetime or something like that but she hasn't seen mommy and then all of a sudden the light bulb goes on and it's it's like that kid can't like doesn't know what to do in their excitement they just run and jump and grab onto mom or dad or whoever it is that's home with all this joy and life and excitement but one thing you almost always notice about the people we're in those moments of the light bulb goes on and then they're in that dramatic moment is you're going to see speechlessness. In that moment, they're almost not going to know what to say because they're so overcome by emotion, so overcome by the experience of having their life changed that they can't even speak. That's where we are in Job. As we begin chapter 42, we're going to hear Job's very short, very, um, very small speech because he doesn't even know what to say after God has spoken to him. We're going to learn from that this morning. Let's pray for the Spirit's blessing and equipping as we learn from the Spirit today. Father, equip us in Jesus' name to grab onto your truth for our hearts and our lives as we consider the end of the story of Job from your word. We pray that we can, along with Job, stand in awe of and wonder of your glory. And that, Lord, our next words, our next actions, that the rest of our life simply is obedience, faithfulness, and gratitude for understanding the depths of your truth and your love for creation. Father, in Jesus' name, equip us to that end to learn today from our brother Job and to live into that understanding in the week ahead. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would turn, in me, turn with me uh, to chapter 42, we're going to begin with the first three verses. 
They're very short. It says these words there. Then Job replied to the Lord. Remember, the uh, Lord spent a couple chapters just previous to this talking about the behemoth and the Leviathan, these enormous creatures that sort of manifest God's power and that they are God's or for his pleasure. Out of that speech and out of all those discussions and questions that God had of Job, where were you in creation? What capacity to you do you have to do what I do? Job says this, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. So right from the beginning of this section, this chapter, the end of the story, Job does an important thing, not only a valuable thing, but a thing that can inspire us. He simply submits. He says, God, you are God. And you are beyond my capacity to grab onto, and I will submit to you. Now, one of the challenges that we have as followers of Jesus is that submission oftentimes is a hard thing. Anyone have a problem with submitting? Jeff put his hand up high and proud really quick. We have problems with submitting, especially knowing that God loves us and has a plan and a purpose for our lives, right? God loves you and has a plan and a purpose for your life, amen? Amen. You believe that, don't you? You believe that worrying about the future, that having fear about what is ahead is actually counterintuitive, counterproductive, and really doesn't change anything about the future, right? Amen? Do you believe that? then why do we still worry? Why do we still have fear? Why don't we, like Job, submit to the truth of who God is? He submits, and he understands who God is. That's something that I think I'm continuing to learn, especially having gone through a year like no other we've ever experienced. What does it mean to submit to God's plan and purpose for all of creation? Job finally sees that he lacks understanding. But remember who Job is. Job is the person from chapter 1 who offers sacrifice for his children. He was obedient. He was faithful. He was considered, turn in your Bible, Job chapter 1, verse 3. What does it say about him? It says these words. Hold on, I'll get there. And he owned 7,000 camels, 3,000, uh, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So this is a guy who is faithful. He is considered in the pinnacle of God's people in terms of faithfulness and obedience and submission to God. And yet, at the very end of the book of Job, he's saying... I submit, I'm going to be silent. Now, the problem that I hold when I think about myself in all this is that I'm not nearly on the level of Job. I'm not that greatest of all people in all the land. I'm not the wisest. I'm not the most, faith, most faithful. And yet, I keep struggling to submit. Here's one greater than I, Job, and he gets it, and he submits. 
I'm not even nearly at Job's level. And I still struggle and I'm still arrogant and I'm still prideful enough to think I need to take over for God in some moments and some places. Job's submission is an inspiration to us. And the beauty of it is, is that he still, despite all the challenge, sees the enormous blessing of relationship with God. What does he say? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. So what sort of wonderful things did Job know? Well, let's remember, we've had 41 chapters of suffering. We've had 41 chapters of struggle. We've had 41 chapters of Job trying to figure out his own pain. And when he finally gets the answer from God and God speaks to him, he says, all these things that I was wondering about truly are too wonderful for me. What is wonderful to Job? The suffering that he has experienced and God has been present with him in. The challenges that he faces has faced are the wonderful things. Friends, for us to even reframe the difficulty that we experience and say, this is, even though it is hard, wonderful. How many of you have learned things about yourself in the last year? How many of you have grown in some strength and capacity in the last year in some way, shape, or form? We have new strength, new ability, new things that God has taught us. How and where? In the suffering, the wonderful suffering. We even sing of that in one of our songs. How many of us have sang the song, The Wonderful Cross, right? That song that speaks of this wonderful instrument of execution. Through the difficulties, through the challenges, through the atoning work of Jesus in this difficult thing, we have the wonderful blessings. God's presence, even in all the difficulties of life, are the wonderful things that help us grow and love him more. Let's continue the passage four through six. He said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Remember again, Job chapter one, verse three, this is the most faithful man in all the land. Someone that God holds up in front of the accuser and says, have you seen my servant Job? And here, this man says about himself, I despise myself, I repent in dust and ashes. Who am I to think that I am any greater than Job? Who am I to think of myself as the one who can save or myself as the one who has capacity to fix this or fix the or whatever? Submission to God is what Job is teaching us here. After all that God has said to Job, this is his only response. In fact, in fact, as we look at the first five verses, or first six verses of chapter four, or ch- chapter 42, these are the last words we're going to see Job speak. In fact, we're only going to see him do one more thing with his mouth after this. He's going to pray. That's what he's going to do. We'll see that in 
verses subsequent. Out of all this, Job doesn't become the, the person who speaks anymore. Remember, for all those chapters when, and Job said, and Job said, and he accused God, and he had questions for God, and he was trying to figure out his suffering. All of a sudden, in knowledge and understanding of who God really is, the light bulb goes on, and he's quiet. I spoke of things too wonderful for me. And he says this too, which I think is really important. My ears have heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. Job has seen God's presence and power in his world. Yes, God showed up. I don't know that he's going to do that for all of us in the same way that he did for Job. But here's what I do know. We talked about it last week. God has shown up in our world. Amen? I was thinking about that this week when I was in my office. If you ever come into my office... There's, and, and if you ask for it, I'll give you a tour. It's one room, it's not that large. But I'll give you a tour of the things that are in my office. Here's what I was thinking of this week as I was sitting down in my office of the places where God has shown up in my world. On my back counter is a metal can. This is truly what it is. It's a metal can sculpture of a robot. It's one of the most ridiculous things you'll ever see. It's sort of silly. It was made by Gene Zavenbergen. Gene Zavenbergen, a man who for years and years and years did the landscaping around this place and was a faithful servant of Christ, even amidst all of his suffering. And when I look at that little sculpture of the robot in the corner of my office, I'm reminded of God's faithfulness. I'm reminded of how God showed up in Gene's life. Up on the top shelf of my bookshelf, there's a picture, actually, of the entire El Sembrador church. Harold Quesado shared that with me at one point during our relationship. He shared with me his entire church, and he asked me to be in prayer for them as they showed God's glory in the community of Rancho Cucamonga. And I look at that, and I'm reminded of how God is using these people, many of whom I have no idea what their name is. But God is using them to proclaim his glory and his power and his wonder through all those spaces. In the back, also on my counter, I have a document. It's actually signed by President Obama. It's the papers that were signed when Sandy Jones became an officer in the Navy. Actually, I think it might be his retirement papers when he was sequestered out of the Navy. Sandy Jones was a member of this church for many years. He died of pancreatic cancer years and years ago. Sandy's African-American. And Sandy taught me a lot about what it meant to have a relationship with a brother who is a different ethnicity than I am. A different understanding and view of the gospel and how it is that we see the family of God. And I look at that little document on my wall and I see the things and I hear in my heart the things that God taught me through this man. See, the thing is, is we can be like Job and say these words, my ears have heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. If we have eyes to see, if we are willing to look into our world and see the spaces, and one of the privileges that I have as the pastor of this church is I can stand in this spot and I can look out and know your stories. Know the beauty of how God is at work in your lives and see the places where God has shown up. And some, for some of you, those stories give me great joy because I know the blessings that you have experienced. Some of those stories bring me some sadness because I know the difficulties that you've experienced. Some of the stories make me laugh because of the funny things that we've known together. 
If we have eyes to see the places where God has shown up, then we, like Job, might be struck and be able to say the words, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. But that's on us. Can we see the places where God is at work? Because if we miss it, we miss God's power in our lives. Verse 7. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls, seven rams, go to my servant Job, sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You've not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. See, the sin of Job's friends is not speaking truth about God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that passage, it's convicting for me, right? I speak about God often. If you were on my Bible study on Wednesday, the Bible study knows that I get fired up about some things about God. I get really excited, like overly excited. I think I overwhelm some people sometimes when I get excited about the things about God. But the challenge is that I am, we are, all of us, on the hook for how we speak about God. When I hear the indictment here for Eliphaz, for Bildad, and for Zophar, I wonder to myself, Scott, are you speaking the truth about God? And we've just lived, friends, through a year in which many Christians have chosen to speak about God's will, right? We've talked about how God is present in this whole um, uh, pandemic. We've talked about pastors and other Christian leaders have talked about how God is present in our ethnic and racial tension and dialogue and conflict. We've talked about how God is present and how God is active in our political arena. And we've made statements oftentimes as Christians about God and all that. And here's my concern. My concern is that what we have said matters. And so if we're going to speak about who God is, we better be speaking truth. Because if not, then friends, go find your how many? Go find your bulls. Go find your rams. Go find all the stuff that you're going to have to sacrifice in order to make up for it. And friends, you're not going to be able to make the sacrifice because the friends can't do it themselves. They need Job's righteousness to come pray for them. Make sacrifices for them. One of the things that I said to you before, and I'll continue to affirm it, and I encourage you towards it. If you are going to speak about God in any of what you see in the world around us, I would encourage you to be very wise, very discerning, very slow to speak using Scripture's words. And in fact, if you are going to speak, then you may want to use a tool that God has given us to speak about our present reality. It's this thing. If I'm going to share anything about what we're going through in any sort of context, I'm going to focus on what this says. Because I want to speak about God's truth. Because we're on the hook for speaking about God. And this I know is true. Amen? This is the real deal. There is no falsehood here. 
And if this is truth, then I'm going to stick to the things that I know are true. Let's speak God's word. Let's speak his truth. And one of the interesting things about this, this section of the text as well are these words, and I'm str- I still struggle with it. I'm still not quite sure what to do with it. It says in verse 7, these words, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Now, we know what Job said, right? And Job said, made some accusations against God. Job was looking for things from God, saying, please, come and help me understand. Defend. Defend yourself before my accusations. Yeah, and I know we talked about that. You want to go back and look at all the sermons. You can see what we talked about when we talked about Job. But I hear in God's words to Job here that Job's questions, Job's concerns were still truth. And maybe in some ways, as I even process it, I'm thinking to myself, it's okay for us to struggle with the road that God has for us ahead. There are some of you for whom the road ahead is fraught with things like conflict with your children or with your family or with your parents. It's okay to question God in that. Maybe your road ahead is fraught with things like illness or even death. I certainly have had many conversations with widows and widowers who ask the question why over and over again. It's okay to have those questions, but within those questions, like Job, to speak truth and to dig into the truth and seek the truth in the place where you know you can get it. The passage closes Verse 10, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karenhapuk. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and full of years. So we finish the book. We come full circle. At the beginning of the book, we saw God's great blessing in the life of Job. He had many children. God gives to him many children again. He had many flocks and herds. God gives to him even more than he had before. God gives to him prominence in his family and among his friends and in all the land. God returns all of that even more. Although I certainly wonder, where was his family when he was going through the trials? Did anyone wonder that as they were looking at it? All of a sudden they show up and they show up with some rings and they say, here Job, where were they when he was throwing ashes on himself and scraping his sores? I wonder that a little bit. What happened? But here's what we do know. God's blessing is not only restored, it's multiplied, but there's one big difference. Job. Job's the difference. 
Job has been changed and altered. Job has been transformed by the journey of 40 plus chapters of suffering, of burden, of interacting with his friends and interacting with the truth of who God is, finally being reminded that the things of God are too wonderful for him. And at the end of the story, we hear him pray. We know he blesses his children. But in essence, what we're hearing from Job is a submission, a deeper submission, a greater submission to who God is in his life. My question for us is this. Anyone had a hard year? You had a year of suffering. Had a year of challenge. Had had to adjust the classroom where you watch your teachers online. That's hard. You've had to teach online. That's hard. We've had to adjust to stay-at-home orders. We've gone through political dialogue that has divided and broken and hurt many of us in many ways. In fact, after this is all said and done, I think we need to do as a community a time of repentance, confession, and forgiveness for even how we've navigated this last year. But one of my questions for you in all this is this. When things all come back, when there's no more face masks, when the sanctuary is open, when Jeff can do all the things that he wants to do with his worship and praise band, when all of our ministries are open, all those things that were there before and they return, but maybe even in greater number, will you be changed? Will you, like Job, be different? Will you take all that has been learned, all that you have understood, all that you've been challenged with, the muscles that you never knew you needed before that are now grown and developed because you've had to flex them through a time that has been unprecedented in our lifetimes. Will you, will I, will we be different? I ask that question for myself. And I ask that question for us as a church community. Will we be more loving? Will we have more joy when we worship together because we haven't been able to do that? Will we have more, more love in our hugs and our handshakes because we haven't been able to share them? When we interact with people in our community, will we be more generous and joyful in what it is that we share with them because we've realized that all the other things of life really matter so very little. The things that matter the most have been shown to us over the last year and we've valued them to a greater degree. Will we share that with the world around us? Job was changed. We don't know how long it was before all of this returned, certainly years before the children grew. But God eventually restored Job, not only to what he had, but what he had and more. God may restore to us what we had before and maybe even more. The question for us is, will we be different? And friends, just a reminder, you won't be different because of how good you are you'll be different because of how good Christ is. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your presence now, now and always. Thank you for your strength, for what we're going through. 
that can mean anything to each of us. Maybe we're going through conflict. Maybe we're going through joy. Maybe we're going through struggle. Maybe we're going through times of plenty. But whatever it is that we are walking through now, Father, you are with us. You equip us with your power that is greater than we can ever think of or imagine. And Lord, we ask that you give us eyes to see the places in our world where we can see you and out of that, then we are then equipped to trust in you for the future ahead and submit to your plan and purpose for our lives. And Lord, we can focus on the main things that you've called us towards, loving you with all of ourselves, loving our neighbor as ourselves, serving the poor, caring for those who are rejected, caring for those who are alone in prison, the widow and the orphaned, forgiving each other, Lord. All those things that you call us to, that we can focus on those things because you have the future, you hold it. And you will give it to us as a gift when that time comes. And when you meet us in whatever is ahead, Lord, may we be changed. May we know deeper faith, deeper love, deeper grace, deeper understanding. And when we come to whatever the future holds, we are equipped better to share all of it with the world around us, just like Job did. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.